Thank you, Cody. Thank you, Cody. <laughs> He's setting me up with all the, the praise, but it uh, feels good. I'm so glad to be here with you all. I'm so glad you're all here. It's a lot of you. <laughs> Ooh, all right. Yeah. I'm really excited for tonight, not because I'm, I'm great or something, but no, it's because of what I think, I hope, I believe God is going to do through what I might be saying, through what his word says, through his spirit working just in this room. And so I'm excited for that. And I'm excited you guys are here. There's no accident that, that you are here, each one of you. So I'm really stoked about it. So this series that we're talking about, let's get the little, yeah, that guy. There's that guy. This series is all about a book of the Bible, 1 John, and uh, it's called Real because there's lots of instances throughout this book of the Bible that describe what it means to have an authentic walk with God, a real walk with God. And that's, that's what we all want in general, at least as far as being real, right? We all want to be real. Nobody's sitting here thinking, I want to be a poser, right? Yeah, and so whether you're a follower of Christ or not, this series and this message are here to help you uncover what it means to be a real Christian, all right? And so tonight I'm speaking on 1 John chapter 4, and as I studied this and examined this, this passage, the core themes became really clear that it's all about love. It's all about love. So that's what we're talking about tonight, is love. And so maybe you're asking, well, why should I sit and listen to what David has to say about love and not just go home and watch a, I don't know, a romantic comedy? Maybe that would be more educational. But, but I answer, I'm not talking about romantic comedy love. I'm talking about a real love, the real, the essence Okay, what, what is David talking about? Real love. This is what I'm talking about. 1 John 4.10 says, This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. This is real love. We're all acquainted with some kind of an idea of what love is. There's different forms that we see in the world, and one obvious one is you know, kind of romantic love between two people, or we experience love just through a genuine close friendship. We see that play out, and then, um, but also just even in loving acts toward people, it could be strangers, that we see love take place around us. And so these are all valid forms of expressing a kind of love, and they, all these expressions may be sincere, I'm not doubting that, but the Bible tells us and it shows us that God's real love outdoes them all. Two weeks ago, on this night, on Tuesday Night Challenge, Pastor Gary Hamilton came and he spoke at Challenge and he gave us an excellent picture of God's love and how high above it, about how high above our love it is. So he talked about how we tend to seek love through, is anybody, um, I'm not going to make you shut it up, but we seek love through performance, through people, through pity, and through physical affection, maybe other ways, but they'll start with peace, so it sounds pretty cool. While those ways of receiving love are, in giving those 
types of love as well. It may add some value to your life. He said that they're limited by design, and God alone can satisfy our need for real love, for real love. And so I'm not here to rehash another message from two weeks ago. I want to build on that by showing you how we can not only experience God's love, but express it. First John 4, 11, the next verse says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Tonight, we're going to explore a dynamic connection between the way that we interact with God's love vertically and the way that we express His real love horizontally among other people. I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite God into this time. Father, we are grateful to be here. Thank you so much for your love, which crossed that barrier that was between us. And I pray that wherever we are in our spiritual journey, our walks with you right now, God, I pray that this time would be an important revelation of just a more of who you are, who you are, God. And I would ask that you would touch each one of us individually to, to know you better and to know how to experience and express a kind of real love that only you give. Thank you, Lord. In your name, amen. So, 1 John chapter 4, in the Bible as a whole display what I'm going to call, I, just, I came up with this, pretty proud of it, four directional realities of real love. It's very scientific when you say, I don't know, I like it. This is a fancy term that I came up with, and it comes with its own... Fancy diagram. So, this is, uh, this is what I got here. So, I'm going to walk through these four directions, yeah, and we're going to look at why these are important, and how we should engage with these realities. So first, we're going to start with God's love for you. There it is right there. God's love for you. I'm starting here for two reasons. This is God's love for everyone. I'm talking, to, I'm talking to you right now. I want you to feel this. Starting here for two reasons. One, because Gary already covered this topic in detail not too long ago. So I don't want to go overboard with that. I want to just start with this one. And two, two, I'm starting here. Because all real love derives from God in the first place. All real love derives from God in the first place. 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. This one verse contains seven really short words that communicate a wonderful and eternally consequential truth. We love because he first he first loved us. So we, starting, we as humans, we are mortals, whatever, we have the opportunity to be adopted into the family of God. When we're in his family, we receive, we get to reciprocate, and to reflect God's love, God's real love. And so we love for no other reason than because he first loved us. Because he first loved us. Right? God is the initiator of all real love. First John 4, 8, anyone who does not love 
does not know God because God is love. God is love. What does that mean? Tozer puts it well. The words, God is love, he says, mean that love is an essential attribute of God. God is love means that love is an essential attribute of God. Real love derives from God, and we have to start there. And that reality of God's incredible love for us has been covered a great deal in this series, so be sure to listen back to that if you to our podcast if you aren't here for that. But before moving on from this important directional reality, I want to briefly revisit just the impact of that truth of God's love. We see it well in Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. It says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, and high, and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. He's ready to fill us with his love. God's love for us is constant. It is unchanging. You and I cannot control whether God loves us or not. Now, next, down on the, on the docket here, I want to move on to the other directional reality that we cannot control. And that is, others' love for us. Others' love for us. We have to start with God's incredible love for us, for you, and others. Then we move on to others' love for you. I don't know if you've noticed. One part of being a person that's well worth grasping is understanding what you can control and what you cannot control, right? There's certain things that you can't control, and some things are very far outside your control. And hopefully by now, you know, we're all in college, like, we sort of grasp this reality to some extent. Because that's really important. If you're trying to control something that you do, that's not in your control, it's just grasping at straws, it's in vain. So, everybody has free will, which means that you may or may not receive real love from the people around you, right? First John 4, 8 says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. We already read that. But the good news of that verse is that real love is from God and that we as humanity can love in this way to a degree. That's really good news. The bad news is that there are a lot of people who do not know God in an intimate, an intimate kind of way that this verse is talking about. So, most people are not living from a position of real love. And if you're a follower of Christ and are seeking to live from a position of real love, the Bible says that you can even expect to receive a hostile response from those around you. Because Jesus said, he says, remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you too also. If they obey my teaching, they will obey yours also. If they persecute me, they will persecute you also. Weird, man. Jesus was the most loving man who ever lived. You know, and he made many friends as a result of his love. But he made many enemies in spite of his love. 
Matthew 5, 44, he says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The clear teaching from the Son of God himself is that our response, no matter what is thrown at us, has to be love. We can't control the way that others love or totally do not love us. But no matter what Jesus says, we've got, to, we've got to respond with love. Why is that? Why do we need to respond with love? Verse, verse 19 of First uh, John 4 again. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. And when you become a follower of Christ, you become an imitator of Christ. When you become a follower of Christ, you become an imitator of Christ. Which means that when he loved, since he loved you first, it means that you have to love first when it comes to other people, right? Romans 5 eight, but God, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, when we were when you were selfish and when you were hurtful, when you were addicted or unlovable, when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us first. When you were broken and unlovable, he took the first step toward you in displaying his love and his grace for you. This is good news. In this, in this action, he is our redeemer by choosing to, to take on our sin, by choosing to love us in spite of ourselves. He's our redeemer and, and our example. If because you are surrounded by broken people every day who are unaware of the love and the life that Christ offers that is available through him. So I implore you, take the first step. Take the first step of love toward those around you, no matter how you are treated. This is Christ's love. This is what it means to be a follower of Christ, to imitate him, to love first. That is not merely what would Jesus do it is what Jesus did. There's another element that I want to get to of others' love for you that's a little more, I don't know, encouraging, a little more joyful. <laughs> and so Ephesians 4, 15-16 holds this truth. It says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body from the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now this is just this awesome dynamic picture of the body of Christ. This is also known as the church, or the fellowship of believers. And uh, in the first Lord of the Rings movie, in the, in the book, it's the same thing. The characters assembled was known as what? Fellowship. Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah. And we've got a picture of the Fellowship of the Ring. Yes. There they are. And so in this series, the members of the Fellowship, they have different strengths, they have different weaknesses, they are different shapes and sizes, as you can see. And throughout their adventure, even, the fellowship totally, totally screws up in certain ways. 
You know, some of them are just clumsy or whatever, and one of them tries to take the ring from the main guy. They, they are not very good at this, you know? It's like, they mess things up. It's a dirty job, really. But in spite of all of that, they have one common goal that unites them. And ultimately, they're there, they're there to support each other in love as they seek to accomplish their mission together. Right? So we, as the body of Christ, are incredibly different from each other. But we share an important goal for God to be glorified by making disciples of all nations. And one amazing benefit of being a follower of Christ is to experience the love of God through the fellowship. Through the fellowship. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, this sense of community and belonging might entice you. I hope it does. If you are a follower of Christ, maybe you need to explore how to make fellowship a greater priority. I know that for myself, when I was a freshman in college, I was kind of, I wasn't really a part of any particular group like this, and I didn't prioritize fellowship with the body in my daily life, and I made some foolish choices, and at that time, I didn't have that many people to, to talk to about it. And so in my sophomore year, that's when I got involved with, with Challenge here, and that's, uh, that gave me a lot more resources to be real, to be real with other believers. And that's when I got involved in the life group, and that's, you know, for through that I had the opportunity to be more vulnerable with some other guys that I was running with, that I was doing life with. So I encourage you, if you are on the fringe at all, or you are still kind of deciding whether to plunge in, you know, I encourage you to, to put yourself out there and, and by meeting people, by coming to events and to Bible studies, and spending time with the body. And that way you can experience the love that comes from being a part of the fellowship. All right, and so next, moving back to the vertical axis, is your love for God. Your love for God. There it is. So, God demonstrates his love for you, for us. Other people may or may not do that, but as a part of the body of Christ, you can, to some degree, experience that, that real love from, from other people, from the body as well. And so, one natural and necessary response to God's love his real love is to reciprocate that love back to him. What does that mean? It means to, to, to reflect it back. And so, um, I don't know what kind of picture you guys get in your head when, when I say reflect, but I think of a mirror. Specifically, I've played this series of games, video games, called The Legend of Zelda. And there's, there's across multiple games, there's some sort of puzzle that has like these lights and mirrors, and you usually get like an item, like a, like a mirror shield, is what it's called, okay? I got it, yeah, there he is. And so, there's, the, there's this light, big old light thing, in a dungeon for some reason, and then he's got this, this shield, which just kind of comes off of it. And so my, my illustration here, if you'll bear with me, is that that real love, that light of God's real love, comes down, in this vertical way, and then in, in this game too, it's like you can you can kind of point your shield in different directions, like from stationary. And 
I picture like pointing it straight up, and that's that's us reflecting, reciprocating that love back to God. Okay, so it's just that's what we got. First John, uh, First John four sixteen. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in His love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. Got that? <laughs> Jesus was once asked, what's the most important commandment? What, what's the most important commandment in all the law? And this was his response. He said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. That's what he said. Okay, this sounds great, and maybe you, you might have heard this command before. We need to love God. And as First John 4 says, he lives in us and compels us to this kind of love. Right? And so, but, like, how? How do we love God is the question. I can't, like, give him a hug or, like, a gift. Isn't human expressions of how to love somebody are kind of, we feel a little limited. Don't know how to work with that. But um, I have two words that can help us. To put some skin on this idea of loving God. That's what I want to try and help us with. First, this isn't a handout thing, but you can write it down if you want to. The first of these words is adoration. Adoration. And by this I mean that God is infinitely worthy to be worshipped. So we should pour out our praise, our adoration, toward him in whatever ways we know how. So in Psalm 63.3, we see adoration. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. The, the psalmist acknowledges the depth of God's love and chooses to praise him verbally through song. Now, every Tuesday night at a challenge, we engage in this kind of musical worship that happens before and after, and it gives us this kind of opportunity to pour out our thanks, to give glory to God together. And no matter how you sound when you when you open your mouth, when you sing, singing praise to God is awesome because I have three reasons. Ready? One, it's honoring to God. It's honoring to God. He hears that, and even if he knows everything going on in your heart. He hears that praise poured out, and you can, you can give that to him. Two, it helps put our heart in the right place. You know, I find that when I'm singing these songs, and or even just listening to these songs, I find that my heart is, is changed a little bit because of what it's talking about, and it's helping me get a better perspective on who I am in light of God and what He's what He's done for me. And then, so, so one, it's honoring to God. Two, it helps put our heart in the right place. Three, it unifies us with the body. You know, we get together, you know, hundred or so people, and we get to be unified by. It's a pretty awesome thing, actually. There's this spiritual. Well, first, there's this musical component that we all feel. You know, we we. This is like. The history of the human race, guys. You know, it's like we all feel music, and it's something that kind of 
kind of bonds people together. And on top of that, spiritually, like we get to experience that and be bonded together in that way too. It's really powerful. And so, not only does it honor God and get you, get your heart kind of in the right place, it unifies you with the body. That's a really good news. So first, um, moving back to my two words, the first way to honor God, to love God, to worship Him is through adoration. And second, we love and worship God through cooperation. Cooperation. Now it's not alliteration, but I, I did, did get it to rhyme. Right? Adoration and cooperation. And so first, uh, not first, just normal John 14.21. Normal John 14.21 says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, this is Jesus talking, it is he, it is that person who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and I will manifest myself to him. Wow. Cooperation through obedience to God is the definitive way of living out our, our love for God. Romans 12, 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Which is your spiritual worship. The way that you use your body, the way you live, the way you act, even the way you think, is either glorifying to God or not. But if you live in a sacrificial and holy way, that is your spiritual worship. That is bringing glory to God. And it's demonstrating our love for Him. So the four directional realities of real love are God's love for you, others' love for you, your love for God, and finally, your love for others. Your love for others. So we need, to, we need to receive the supernatural love of God and the fickle love from others, or even just the love that we do receive from the body of Christ. Then we need to reciprocate that love back to God and reflect it toward others also. So if in, uh, if in Legend of Zelda, you know, like the, the light's coming down again, if I hold it like the shield at a 45 degree angle, then whatever's out there is going to going to get that. So that's kind of, once again, that's, that's what's going on there. I don't know. <laughs> First John 4, 11 through 12 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. You see, if we embrace God's love and attempts to radiate it back to Him, but fail to love the people around us, then we're missing a key ingredient, and we're not fulfilling God's perfect will and the plan that He has for us. Later in 1 John 4, John describes the hypocrisy that is loving, trying to love God and not people. In verse 20, he says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Let's look at the original diagram for this. It's simply just incompatible to have one and not the other. If we attempt to express the real love that's 
real love to God and not to people, then it's phony, like this verse is saying. And if we attempt to express real love to people, but not back to God, then we're not connected to the ultimate source of love. And so that love for others is, is deficient, right? That's what we see through this. And so as we read Matthew, um, or as we read Matthew 22, 37 earlier, uh, it tells us that we need to love God with all of our heart, our soul, soul and our mind. That's the first and greatest commandment. In the same breath, Jesus says, in verse 39, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And this, the fact that these two commands are just connected, he says, the second is like it. It's the same value, in a sense. It drives home this point that loving people is intrinsically connected to loving God. The twofold charge to love God and people is known as the great commandment. Love God, love people, it's the great commandment. And uh, recently, our staff was challenged. We read a book called Four Chair Discipling. And one concept that really stood out to me from that book is this, this connection that he draws between the great commandment and the great commission. So the great commission is this. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. So in this book I read, Fortune Discipling, the author says, The great commandment speaks to the motive of our discipling. We are motivated by love of God and love for people. And the Great Commission, make disciples, speaks to our mission. We are sent to make disciples. That's what he says there. So that really shifted my perspective, and it could really shift yours. I think most, most people, most of us, have a need in one of those two areas, if not both. Perhaps, you know, perhaps you are a committed Christian, you're committed to the mission of making disciples, but maybe you've lost sight of the motive behind it, love. And it's just this thing you're kind of on autopilot for. And if that's you, I encourage you to refresh your love for God by seeking Him through His Word, and refresh your love for people by praying for them and seeking tangible ways of expressing God's real love to them. And perhaps you're sitting here tonight, and you were sold on the commandment to love God and people, but you've been confused about what that means or what it could amount to. And it's to you that I say that the commission, commission to make disciples, gives you a purpose and a mission to strive for. The Great Commission is an act of love for God in obedience to Him, and an act of love for people, drawing them into His love. I think that's kind of important. The Great Commission is an act of love for God in obedience, and an act of love for people and drawing Him into His love. And so, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, I invite you to reflect on these realities from God's Word about real love, experiencing real love, and expressing it. And so looking back at those, God's love for you, others' love for you, your love for God, 
and your love for others. I want you all to think about just like, what elements of this is missing, or do I want to work on, and how can I grow in this area of either participating in the body of Christ, or receiving, maybe you need to receive God's love for the first time tonight. And that's something that you can do. And then also, maybe you need to think about, okay, how can I love people better by, by making disciples? And so I, I challenge you to think about these things. Let's pray together to close. Well, Father, thank you for, for being here with us. Thank you for the love that you that you freely give that we can't we can't earn. And God, we're just so excited for what you might do through through this time. I pray that we would not walk away unchanged, but that we would really choose to let these truths sink in. That the reality of your love, which fuels all other forms of real love, that that would just surge through us, and that that would really create a difference in our lives this week, this year, and just beyond on this campus. In your name, amen.